Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the CGI First Quarter Fiscal 2020 Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Lorne Gorber, Executive Vice President, Investor in Public Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Gorber. Thank you, Maud, and good morning. With me to discuss CGI's First Quarter Fiscal 2020 results are George Schindler, our President and CEO, and Francois Boulanger, Executive Vice President and CFO. This call is being broadcast on CGI.com and recorded live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, January 29, 2020. Supplemental slides, as well as the press release we issued earlier this morning, are available for download, along with our Q1 MDNA financial statements and accompanying notes, all of which are filed with both CDAR and EDGAR, and are available for download on our website, along with supplemental slides. Please note that some statements made on the call may be forward-looking. Actual events or results may differ materially from those expressed or implied, and CGI disclaims any intent or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, except as required by applicable laws. This complete safe harbor statement is available in both our MDNA and press release, as well as on CGI.com. We encourage our investors to read it in its entirety and to refer to the risks and uncertainty section of our MDNA for a description of the risks that could affect the company. We are reporting our financial results in accordance with International Financial Reporting Standards, or IFRS. As before, we'll also discuss non-GAAP performance measures, which should be viewed as supplemental. The MDNA contains definitions of each one used in our reporting. All of the dollar figures expressed on this call are Canadian, unless otherwise noted. We are also hosting our AGM this morning, so we hope you will join us live or via the broadcast at 11 a.m. I'll turn it over to Francois now to review our Q1 financials, and then George will comment on our operational highlights and strategic outlook. Francois? Thank you, Lauren, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to share our results for Q1 fiscal 2020. Revenue was $3.05 billion, an increase of $90.8 million, or 3.1%, compared with last year. On a constant currency basis, revenue grew 4.8%, of which approximately 1.2% was organic. Year-over-year IP-related revenue grew by $38 million and was 21% of total revenue. Bookings were $2.7 billion for a book-to-bill of 90%, impacted by the general election in the UK, and seasonality in U.S. federal. Bookings across continental Europe were up sequentially, driven by managed services demand, including IP. Also, our pipeline across North America continues to grow, notably due to managed services opportunities. On a trailing 12-month basis, booking remained above 100% of revenue, totaling $12.4 billion. The backlog at the end of December stood at $22.3 billion, or 1.8 times annual revenue, despite the negative currency impact of approximately $900 million year-over-year. Beginning in Q1, we adopted IFRS 16, 
This new accounting standard relates to the recognition of lease agreements onto the balance sheet. This change lowers our cost of sales and increases our net finance costs, resulting in a non-material impact to net earnings. I will comment on these variations, including the impact on the cash flow statement and our capital structure. Further details are included in the MDNA. Adjusted EBIT increased to $474.1 million, up $35 million, or 8% from last year. EBIT margin was up 70 basis points to 15.5%, driven by revenue growth across several geographies, efficiency gains in our global delivery centers, the initial benefits of optimizing our infrastructure operations, and a favorable $9.7 million impact from IFRS 16. Our effective tax rate for the quarter was 26.7% compared to 25.9% last year. When excluding the impact of non-deductible restructuring expenses, our effective tax rate was 25.1% within the expected range of 245 to 26.5%. As announced last November, we are investing up to $40 million to optimize and restructure our Swedish infrastructure operations, to exit Brazil, and to refocus Portugal as a near-shore delivery center. During the quarter, we incurred $28.2 million of related expenses net of tax. We also expensed $16.5 million in Q1 related to the acquisitions and the integrations of Akando and Sysis. When including these specific items, net earnings were $290 million in Q1 for a margin of 9.5%. Earnings per share on a gap basis were $1.06 per diluted share, compared with $1.11 last year. However, when excluding these specific items, net earnings in Q1 improved year-over-year to $335 million, or 11% of revenue, up 40 basis points. Earnings per share on the same basis were $1.23 compared with $1.12 last year. This represents an improvement of 9.8% despite a currency headwind of over $0.02. We generated $465 million in cash during the quarter, or 15.2% of revenue. This represents an improvement of $74 million compared with $392 million generated in Q1 last year. The year-over-year increase in cash includes $39 million related to the adoption of IFRS 16. Over the last 12 months, we have generated $1.7 billion, or $6.20 in cash per share, a significant increase compared with $1.5 billion, or $5.15, from a year ago. We ended the quarter with a DSO of 49 days, down from 50 days last quarter and 54 days last year, largely due to the evolving business mix. During the quarter, we allocated cash across several strategic priorities, $67 million back into our business, $156 million in acquisition, mainly sizes which closed on December 18, $17 million repurchasing CGI shares, and we repaid $182 million of long-term debt. Buying back CGI stock has been an accretive and flexible way to return capital to shareholders. Under the current program, we have invested $675 million, repurchasing 7 million shares 
at a weighted average price of $97.13. This represents a return of over 16% based on yesterday's closing share price. As such, our board of directors approved the extension of the program until February 2021, allowing us to purchase up to 20.1 million shares over the next 12 months. At the end of December, net debt stood at $2.8 billion, representing a net debt to capitalization ratio of 27.7%, up from 19.1% last year, largely due to IFRS 16. Excluding this impact, the net debt to capitalization ratio was 20.9%, slightly higher than last year, due to increased investments in metro market mergers. With our revolving credit facility and cash on hand, we have $1.6 billion in readily available liquidity and access to more as needed to continue pursuing our build and buy strategy. Now I'll turn the call over to George. Thank you, Francois, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased with our team's performance in the first quarter as we continue to successfully execute on our build and buy profitable growth strategy. This quarter's results continue to reflect the shift in client buying behavior towards outcome-based engagement, as evidenced by a 70 basis point increase in managed services revenue as compared to last year. And our larger managed services offering is resonating. In fact, the managed IT and business process services pipeline is up 30% year over year. However, many of our commercial clients are employing a more deliberate approach to their IT buying decisions as they shift their internal organizational focus to prioritize both agility and operational excellence. This means that our clients are currently acting most rapidly on smaller, more focused outcome-based solutions. For example, in the quarter, we were awarded a five-year engagement with a new U.S. client in the financial services sector to deliver selective managed application services, security, and infrastructure. This is designed to immediately address and improve the client's IT quality and security with larger future scope now under discussion. Technology remains core to our client's business, and we continue to be well-positioned for these near-term spending trends with both new and existing clients. The investments we have made in our IT and business consulting capabilities and in IP allow us to offer services and solutions to help clients realize incremental progress on their digital initiatives. For example, in the quarter, we were awarded new work with one of Europe's leading manufacturers to provide agile consulting and enterprise architecture, enabling their digital workforce initiatives over a 36-month timeframe. Another example is a new engagement with a large U.S. utility to implement our Pragma workflow solution to digitize their enterprise workforce management over the next two years, generating immediate efficiency. We also see these types of engagements as an opportunity to build even deeper relationships and drive future growth in larger managed services deals, including for our managed IP. As planned, this evolving revenue mix, combined with our investments and operational excellence, are driving earnings growth. This is most pronounced in our global delivery centers of excellence, which are in high demand by our clients, are yielding increasing margins due to our investments in talent, tooling, and methodologies. Turning now to the year-over-year regional highlights of the first quarter, I'll start in North America. In the U.S. commercial and state government segment, bookings were 107% of revenue on the strength of new managed services contracts 
which accounted for 50% of bookings in Q1. Bookings were particularly strong in the financial services and utility sectors, both over 130% booked to bill. Organic revenue growth was 2%, driven by scope expansions across some of our largest commercial clients, and we continue to experience an improving state and local government market receptive to our IP offering. EBIT margin remains stable at 15.1%. In our U.S. federal operations, revenue grew by 11.5% as previous quarters managed service bookings and task order wins ramped to their full revenue run rate. EBIT margin was 13.3%, slightly lower year-over-year due to larger, lower volumes in transaction-based BPS contracts. And bookings were 60% of revenue. With the federal fiscal year budget appropriations finalized at the end of December, we expect an active procurement cycle in advance of the U.S. election. In Canada, despite bookings in the quarter of 60% of revenue, Canada's backlog remains very strong at four times annual revenue. Our pipeline of opportunities continues to be robust, with a notable increase in the IP pipeline, which is up 40% over last quarter. Revenue declined in part due to lower infrastructure volumes year over year, while EBIT margin was strong at 22.8%, as we are now realizing the positive impact of previously announced actions to optimize our infrastructure operations. Turning now to our European operations. In Scandinavia, revenue grew 25%, driven by the addition of a condo. This is net of the planned runoff of lower margin projects, which will total approximately 10% of acquired revenue and is at the high end of the range previously communicated. EBIT margin was 7.8%, which we expect to continue improving throughout the year as further benefits from the Econdo integration and the restructuring of the infrastructure business in Sweden are each fully realized. And bookings were strong at 130% of revenue, reflecting the improved ability of the merged operations to address client demand. In Finland, Poland, and the Baltics, revenue was stable with the year-ago period with continued strength in financial services, particularly in the insurance space. EBIT margin expanded 90 basis points to 14.9% as a result of an improving business mix. And bookings were 108% of revenue with increased demand for IP, which was 144% book to bill. In Western and Southern Europe, revenue was essentially stable across the region with organic growth in France and overall strength in government, but impacted by the strategic actions taken in Brazil and Portugal announced last quarter. EBIT margin was 14.9%, up 80 basis points, despite one less billable day in France, which is also reflective of an improving business mix. Bookings were 104% of revenue, with strong demand for managed IT services, which represented over half of the total bookings in the quarter. And last week, we completed the merger with METI, a France-based IP solutions and consulting firm specialized in the retail sector. I want to take this opportunity to warmly welcome our 300 new members from METI. Together, we will bring innovation through combined IP and consulting services to retail sector clients around the world. In the UK and Australia, revenue grew 1% with IP services growth in the financial services sector. Our continued market leadership in space, defense, and intelligence was further solidified at the end of the quarter 
with the close of the CISIS merger. EBIT margin was 14.7%, and book-to-bill was 69% of revenue, impacted by a slowdown in both commercial and government awards decisions, largely due to uncertainties created by the UK general election. With the Brexit decision now made, we expect a very active period of government procurement to address the backlog of mission priorities. Likewise, we expect to see more normalized purchasing activity in the commercial sectors going forward. In Central and Eastern Europe, revenue growth was 9%, of which approximately 3% was organic, and EBIT margin increased 10.5%, an improvement of 190 basis points. Bookings were 103% of revenue on the strength of scope expansions from large transportation and retail and consumer services clients in both Germany and the Netherlands. And in Asia Pacific, revenue growth was 10%. EBIT margin was strong again at 28%, driven in part by increased utilization and operational excellence. Our Asia Pacific delivery centers are leading the way in realizing the return on CGI's innovation investments made in talent, tooling, and methodology. In summary, we are off to a strong start and continue to position our talent and services to meet current and future client demands. We continue to see clear interest for managed services and intellectual property solutions in the pipeline. Given the longer decision cycles for these larger long-term opportunities, we are also well positioned to meet client demand for shorter-term outcome-based engagements. These engagements will drive growth, albeit at a different pace in the near term. And the benefits from recent mergers, as well as our restructuring initiatives, will deliver earnings and margin improvement moving forward. We will also continue accelerating the pace of metro market-based mergers, with three already closed in the fiscal year and a healthy number of prospects in later stages of the M&A funnel. And of course, we will continue to consider all opportunities to be an active consolidator in the industry through transformational mergers. We remain focused on executing our strategic aspiration of doubling over the next five to seven years through continued build and buy. Thank you for your interest and support. Let's go to the questions now, Lauren. Just a reminder that there'll be a replay of the call available either via our website or by dialing 1-800-408-3053 and using the passcode 614-9639 until March 2nd. There'll also be a podcast of the call available for download within a few hours. Follow-up questions, as usual, can be directed to me at 514-841-3355. Mode, if we could pull for questions, please. Certainly. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone line. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time. If you have a question, there will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from Stephen Lee from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Um, thank you. Uh, George, a couple of questions on, on Canada. Uh, with your margins pushing 23%. Was there any large IP in that number, or do you view that as more sustainable going forward? 
Yeah, no, actually, it didn't. Uh, it didn't have as much IP in that number. Really, some of that benefit was from some of those uh, initiatives I had mentioned in earlier quarters around our infrastructure, right-sizing that, and uh, obviously that run down. That runs down at a lower margin, which increases our margin elsewhere. The uh, some of that uptick really was from those global delivery centers of excellence. We have a number of them here in Canada, and so that was uh, those are in demand and utilization of those go up, and obviously uh, those are, are profitable, uh, both uh, uh, beneficial for our clients, but also profitable for CGI. Uh, that IP uptick uh, uh, is, uh, is notable in, uh, in Canada, and it's notable also in uh, the fact that it's with those financial services uh, companies. So uh, all in all, uh, Canada, again, that margin is, uh, is strong. And, and repeatable? I believe it's, uh, you know, is that the, the absolute run rate? Probably not, but it's, uh, I believe we'll continue to have strong margins above that 20% mark. Okay, thanks. And, and George, the IP pipeline, I think you said was up 40%. Uh, which areas uh, are these? Well, in Canada specifically, it's in financial services, but, uh, but IP is up uh, across the, uh, the company in a number of areas, including uh, utilities, including in government, and also some of our newer IPs, both in utilities with OpenGrid, which we announced, but also uh, emerging in the, uh, in the space industry. So uh, IP is up across the board, which we predicted and planned for given, uh, given the, the market that we're moving into. Okay, thank you. And just one question, uh, one yeah. more question yeah. for me. The organic growth was slower this quarter. Would you expect it to snap back, or should we expect a couple of quarters of 1%, 2% growth? Thank yeah, I, I think that uh, in the near term, inorganic growth will outpace organic growth. So that pace of inorganic growth is uh, is going stronger. But in the near term, yeah, there's going to be some softness in the organic growth. But we have some tailwinds on our on our side there. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Thank you. A following question is from Thanos Moskopoulos from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, George, if you could maybe summarize the changes you're seeing now in the pipeline and demand environment versus three months ago. Um, it sounds like you're saying customers are being um, uh, maybe a bit more thoughtful in terms of the size of contract awards. Just make sure I got that correct. And has there been any change in terms of the typical duration of contracts, or has that been consistent? No, yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a very good uh, question. I, I, I tried to, to uh, highlight that in the opening remarks. Yeah, the, the larger deals are still out there, but they're being broken into smaller deals first. And so it's almost a phased approach. And so we see more of a selective scope and more of three- to five-year deals versus the seven- to ten-year deals of full scope. Uh, just to, just to, to highlight that, though, and, and I highlighted uh, one in my remarks, that, uh, that example that we gave, that's a five-year deal, but it's, uh, it's $65 million. So they're still of size, but they're not of the couple hundred million that uh, those seven to ten year deals would yield at a fuller scope. Okay. And uh, a lot of your commentary was focused on the managed services pipeline. If we think about the SINC pipeline, um, are we you still seeing a fair bit of interest in terms of digital initiatives, or is that slowing down across a number of geographies in favor of managed services? Yeah, the, the digital initiatives are still out there. What's, what's very interesting, though, is we see the digital initiatives, some of those are coming under the managed services 
opportunities. Uh, and, it, and it really is kind of uh, both ends of the spectrum. Investing, as we've been talking about, investing a little bit more right now in the operational efficiencies so that they free up some of the funding for the digital initiatives, uh, but certainly slowing the, the pace of the spending on the, uh, on the digital initiatives. But as I mentioned a number of times, we're only, we see our clients are only about 10%, what they say, are actually completed with their digital initiatives and getting the returns. And so that's, that's causing them to take a more deliberate approach, but it's not changing overall their, their go-forward landscape of IT is core to my growth in the future, and digital is core to enabling that. Great. And then finally, in Western and Southern Europe, uh, you mentioned France had organic growth, but there was obviously the impact from uh, the restructuring in, in Brazil and Portugal. Might you be able to quantify the revenue impact in the quarter from the restructuring? Uh, do you have that uh, on number? We had one last day, and we had the... Uh, yeah, uh, you're talking on the revenue side. On the revenue. On the revenue side for Western and Southern Europe, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, three to four million. Okay. Uh, great. I'll pass the line. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Thank you. Our following question is from Nair Yagi from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I want to go back to uh, maybe just a question, a question on, on the pace of the organic revenue growth. On the last call, uh, George, you said that you expected a pause in acceleration in revenue growth organically, but uh, the, what, in your view, was uh, the reason for the growth to come down from four to, let's say, one and a half in one quarter. It's 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 a it's kind of it's a sizable change in in the pace of growth, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how is it gonna get back into the three four type range that we saw in the last couple of quarters. And also, uh, second question I had is when you look at the the metric that you know I look at in terms of uh, book to bill, which is the last twelve months book to bill, it's been declining since. Uh, September, the quarter of September 2018, uh, and we're getting close to hitting the, the one point here. And uh, you know, we've well, you know, and management has always also said that this is a metric that you guys are care for, uh, care more for because it's it's kind of it, it's a barometer for the health of the business that is coming into the pipeline. So, uh, what is being done to improve that, or are we should we expect that number to turn into uh, lower than one in the next couple of quarters. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for the questions, uh, Mayor. So maybe I'll start with the uh, the, the second one first on the uh, on the bookings and uh, what what you've seen over the last several quarters. You've seen an uptick in SINC, and SINC comes in at lower uh, a, a lower bookings level than managed services. You've seen that. I've, I've highlighted that as you looked at our revenue kind of. Uh, follows that uh, trend. Our bookings follows that trend. Uh, in SINC, anything over 100% is healthy. Uh, as you move to managed services, you drive a higher book to bill uh, and, and a lot of other uh, good uh, uh, qualities associated with that mix of business. We want a good mix of business. We were a little bit overweight on SINC. We're moving more to our traditional managed services, which is where you'll see that pipeline come up. However, and the reason I, I talked about the, uh, the pause and the acceleration of the growth is they don't move at the exact perfect time. So the decision-making on SINC is faster. The 
decision-making on managed services uh, takes a little bit, is a little more deliberate, uh, as, I, as I highlighted, and uh, we're filling that gap through a number of different tailwinds, right? So the, the, we're filling that gap, and now moving into the, into the growth part of the question, you're filling that gap. You see through the recent mergers picking up the pace. We're excited about the opportunity to spread the IP and the media, the space, uh, even the government uh, ERP and the retail distribution side, spread that through the broader CGI channel. So that will be a, a nice tailwind for both the inorganic growth that comes on with those, but also organic growth as, uh, as IP gets, uh, gets spread across the company. Uh, the spending bill approved in the U.S., government place in U.K., that's a tailwind for growth because, in fact, government demand goes up in the climate that we're going into, a lot more spending on domestic and social programs. And just to remind you, and I, I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, one-third of our total revenue does come from that government. That come, kind of comes into a counter-cyclical. Governments structurally move a little slower. And, uh, of course, when you don't have a government in place like we had in the U.K. or uh, don't have a spending bill in the U.S., that kind of impacts that. That had the biggest impact on our book-to-bill. So the book-to-bill, even in the quarter, would have been 100% without the downdraft of those two uh, units alone, and uh, we know why that happened in that short term. Um, we're playing into the more selective managed services opportunities, which is why I highlighted that. But that'll help fill the gap before they make some of those larger decisions. And uh, but what you will see is inorganic growth outpace organic growth in the near term, but will drive some of that organic organic growth in the future. So all in all, it's not unexpected. Uh, it's what I talked about last quarter. Uh, but uh, we see the bookings following the pipeline, particularly given the, uh, the tailwinds that I mentioned. I think bookings and growth in the intermediate term uh, return to where we, uh, where we want them to be. It's a different spending pattern. This is why I also tout our end-to-end -end services uh, and then also why we talk about the portfolio that we have across our 10 industries because every industry doesn't buy at the same uh, at the same pace, so that really gives us the uh, the confidence moving forward. Yeah, just to follow up, uh, in, so in in terms of the organic revenue growth tailwinds that you talked about, how yep. I know you're not into uh, short term guidance or even medium term guidance, but uh, how long should we you know wait to see those tailwinds start to help the organic revenue growth? And my second, my just follow up question on. Uh, the buyback when when you start to see the return on on invest, invested capital or return on equity uh, come down, uh, and I, I know this is the first quarter that we see this happening, but it's the first time we see it happening since 2017. Uh, does that change how you view your stock buyback strategy? So uh, on your first question, you're correct. We don't give guidance. Maybe, uh, Francois, you can talk a little bit about the impact IFRS uh, 16 also has. Yeah, so, so uh, for sure the, uh, the, the IFRS 16 had a small impact on the return on equity and, uh, and ROIC. Uh, so uh, even if it went down, the majority is, is, is related to that. Uh, that said, you know, uh, we still think, you know, that, uh, you know, our, our – at least when you're comparing with some of our competitors, that uh, you know, uh, it's still a very good value. Uh, the, the share price of CGI, 
and like I indicated, you know, we did some uh, share buyback, uh, a lot of share buyback last year, uh, close to 34, 35% of our uh, NCID, and uh, was with a return of uh, close to 16% on the uh, on the share price. So, so we still think that it's a good uh, it's a good investment. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Richard C. from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you? Uh, just uh, wanted to sort of go further on these uh, the change in the nature of some of these deals on the smaller side. Is that because your clients you know, don't necessarily understand the technology and it's viewed as a way of mitigating risk, or, or is there some other reason behind that? Yeah, I think uh, I think some of it is given all of the change that our clients are already going through. Uh, many of our clients are doing M and A themselves in order to uh, to chase some of their growth that they need for for their uh, organizations, which obviously is an intermediate opportunity for us, but a different opportunity causes them to look internally, and that's uh, that was some of my opening remarks on. I think it's more of that. They're going through a lot of change. One of the biggest uh, uh, insights that we receive from our voice of the client, which I have outlined here, is one of the barriers, the biggest barrier, uh, of not receiving the benefits from digitization efforts. It's not the technology. It's the people. It's the culture. And so as you take kind of a, a look at that, uh, it causes them to be, as I mentioned, a little bit more deliberate, especially given all the change. So they actually get uh, less overall savings to the client, but they they enable themselves to kind of maybe digest the change in a different way. That's the discussions we're having, and that's why I also highlighted the discussion doesn't end there, right? The discussion still says, I want to do the bigger, longer deal. I got to get I got to get my my uh, organization under control first. It still gives CGI increased utilization and drives uh, higher margins as we see the shift, and you're seeing that. Uh, I mentioned it gives us deeper relationships and proof points to gain those future larger scope, but they're not going wholesale over to that. And I think that's the maybe what's pronounced in this slowing economy versus dropping off the edge economy that we're in right now. Okay, thanks. And with respect to... Uh infrastructure as sort of reading through the MDNA, and I noticed, you know, a bunch of sort of runoffs, and you even commented about it uh, earlier. Um, no doubt that's probably a bit of a drag on the business as well. So when it comes to those runoffs, where do you think we are right now in terms of uh, uh, when that will end? Are we kind of near the end of that uh, that process? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one because it continues to, uh, it continues to evolve, uh, and it's still a very important part of our business. It's just a, an evolving part of our business. Uh, we're actually increasing the use of infrastructure uh, as it relates to software as a service for our own IP and our own uh, IP private cloud, if you will. Uh, so we're increasing, actually, investments as we move towards that. Uh, we're doing more and more infrastructure advisory, maybe getting back to your opening question about uh, clients really taking a look at uh, where they do and don't want to use public cloud, private cloud, and what their, uh, what their posture is when it comes to cybersecurity and data privacy, particularly in Europe. So, uh, so our infrastructure advisory is growing, but then, of course, uh, there's softness 
in the other parts of the infrastructure business. And so as you kind of structurally have to address those changes, we're doing that on the uh, on the fly, but you see some of the impacts of that. Uh, so that's what's going on in the infrastructure business. And I say that we're we're through that. So we were we were through the first round. Now we're in a second uh, a second round as as that shifts again. It'll probably be one more round. But just to, just to remind you, and I don't want to misspeak, uh, Francois. Percentage of current business that's uh, that's infrastructure today. Yeah, it's still a bit. it's still uh, you know. Uh, 12, 13 percent yeah. yeah. of revenue. But again, that's still down from the yeah. 15 to 20 yeah. percent it was uh, yeah. not that long ago. I don't think it'll go below 10 percent. No. It's still an important part of our, our business. Okay. And just one last one for me with respect to uh, your comments on inorganic growth. Um, should we read that to mean um, it'll outpace because pace of organic is Question is from Robert Young from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, maybe if I just pick up on the last line of uh, question in there. There's any change uh, that you see in the metro market strategy? First, um, would uh, a pickup on M&A imply targeting larger uh, acquisitions? And then maybe a second piece to that would be around the valuation landscape. If, if um, the consulting side of the business is a little bit weaker. Are you seeing pressure that is driving lower valuations? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, a good question. Uh, thanks, Robert. Uh, the metro market strategy is still what uh, we believe uh, we can pick the pace up on and uh, and bring some more uh, of those into the business. Uh, pipeline is up. Uh, as far as um, as far as the pressure on the pricing. I haven't really seen that, and maybe part of that is because we're very disciplined in what we're looking for. You can see that uh, two of the last three had uh, had intellectual property. You're going to see more of that uh, moving forward. So um, when you're when you're talking about IP, you don't necessarily see the the pressure that I talk about on the on the systems integration and consulting side. But um, but over time, we probably would see some of that. But we're gonna we're gonna be very disciplined uh, even as we accelerate the pace. So you won't see any lack of discipline there uh, as we do that. But given the growing pipeline and given the opportunities out there in general, uh, we believe it's a, it's a good time to, to continue to consolidate. On the larger deals, it does not re, uh, that, that increase in the inorganic growth does not require any of the transformational deals. Uh, we continue to look at those opportunities, however, on the, on the larger deals. The overall pressure uh, probably does over time create some price pressures and opportunities for us on those largest deals. Okay, great. And then maybe just talking a, a bit more about the uh, the pipeline. You said it was up 30%. Maybe you could talk about, is that a sudden jump here in the quarter, or is that something you've seen over time? And if you can break that into cohorts, uh, potentially you said that there are some longer deals, 7 to 10 years, smaller deals, 5 to 7 
and then there's the uh, the shorter term. Um, is there any way to break that sort of growth in the pipeline up into those sort of cohorts to better describe yeah. the, the Yeah, term? so the, the, the pipeline increase I'm talking about is really year over year, and it's most pronounced in those managed IT deals. So that's really what, what I'm referencing there. Um, the, the, man, the, the pipeline for the SINC is relatively flat, but the, uh, the IP and the managed services deals uh, are, are up by the nature of those deals, given that they're, they're longer deals, uh, tend to be larger deals, even those uh, that aren't full scope are still 50 to $100 million deals. So uh, that's what drives that pipeline growth, and of course the full deals are in the uh, the hundreds of millions. Um, that that pipeline is is most pronounced uh, actually in in government and retail right now. And and because it seems like there's a little bit of a, a change happening uh, in the way your customers are looking at these deals, it, it, does that imply uh, a booking gap uh, as? I mean, some of these longer deals obviously can have a longer sales cycle, and so maybe you could talk about what you expect from bookings over maybe the next year. Is there any way to uh, talk about a potential gap? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily see a gap. Like I told you, the uh, and Francois, Francois actually pointed out, uh, if you take UK and federal out, we're we're at that uh, 100% even in the quarter, and uh, so we still uh, we still believe we can get the, the bookings. And uh, demand should be picking up uh, with the with some of those big uncertainties behind us in UK and US federal, which tends to be very lumpy uh, anyway. So that's why I highlighted uh, we're playing into the uh, into the uh, the market, and we're going after some of that selective scope, uh, even as we uh, present the full offering, uh, which come with those those very largest deals. So uh, that's that's kind of what I see happening. I'm not necessarily uh, seeing any any big gap there. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. The following question is from Ramsey Elasal from Barclays. Please go ahead. Uh, hey guys, uh, this is Ben Budishan for Ramsey. Um, I wanted to circle back on on the M&A expectation for the year, and I, you know, understanding you don't give guidance. Um, on the last quarter, you sort of talked about the longer term trajectory as being, you know, like five to six percent organic and five to six percent um, inorganic. So, with that in mind, would we maybe ex- would it be reasonable to expect that, um, you know, for this year, the revenue contribution from acquisitions might be above that range or the high end of the range, or you know, is that perhaps asking too much? Well, yeah. When when I talked about the the five to to six percent organic and inorganic, that's certainly the target uh, to have that balanced growth, uh, which is why uh, we we put out the aspiration to double in the five to seven years. So that's that's really where that comes from. That's the that's the target. Um, I think we would reach that target faster on the inorganic than the organic, given everything else we just uh, discussed here. But that's uh, that remains the target of where we're, we're heading for. One different things. Okay. Um, and then in the U.S., just given you've been through a number of, um, you know, uh, presidential elections, can you just give us a, an idea of the timing of, like, when you would expect revenues to kind of tick back up as, you know, once the spending decisions are made and contracts are kind of signed or, or renegotiated, um, what, what can we expect to see in the next couple of quarters, kind of the pacing of improvement there? Yeah, well, actually, revenues were extremely strong in uh, U.S. federal based on, on prior uh, prior bookings, and, of course, that will continue. 
what I was mentioning is the bookings were impacted by uh, not having a federal budget. So what we see typically is there will be a lot of spending uh, in the run-up to the election, and that's what I talked about. Uh, that spending is to get things in place because when there is a presidential transition, uh, there's different priorities and everything kind of stalls until the new, uh, uh, if there is a presidential transition, I should say, then there is a, uh, until the new leadership gets in place. So what you usually see is run-up, then a bit of a pause, and I'm talking about the bookings now, and then, uh, and then run-up again as the new priorities get put in place. Uh, the run-up that happens now, and I'm talking about bookings, will allow us to continue to have the, uh, the revenue uh, growth and stability straight through that pause period. That's what we see typically in the election cycle, which is why I highlighted it. That is very helpful. And if I could sneak one more, um, can you give us some color on maybe just the expectations for the I for 16 impact on margin over the course of the year? Well, mostly the same, uh, you know, EBIT uh, when we said 9.7 million for the quarter, so it's 0.3 uh, on on the on the EBIT margin. So uh, you can expect for the EBIT margin to to continue like that, so nine nine point seven to 10 million per quarter. As for the net earnings, like I was saying, it's uh, marginal. Okay, because, great. Because again, I, we have more interest expense, so it's really. Uh, in the geography of the PNL, where where it's changing. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, thanks so much for taking my questions. Sure. Thank you. Our following question is from Paul Trevor from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Oh, thanks very much and good morning. I just wanted uh, or hoping that you could elaborate on your comment about seeing more demand for global delivery centers. Um, there was an article out a couple of weeks ago indicating the CGI plans to hire another 15,000 people in India. Can you just comment, you know, in terms of that strategy? I think previously in the past you, you, you called it a nearshore strategy. Are you seeing more demand uh, for offshore, in particular in terms of India, as opposed to um, what you typically called in the past nearshore? So uh, it's, it's a great question, and it, it, a lot of this goes back to the mix of business and the evolving mix of business. As the business evolves from more SINC, and I've been highlighting that, we've been talking about it. In fact, a number of you asked me, maybe even uh, you yourself, Paul, asked me, you know, when are you going to see the shift, and what does that mean? I said, well, you know, we're not rooting for the shift because we're playing into this market, but when that shift happens, it will be, uh, it will be very good for us. So as this shift plays out, and of course it's not happening as fast as any of us would like to see, but it is happening. As that shift plays out, the managed services deals are, allow us to leverage the global delivery centers in a different way than shorter-term SINC projects allow us to leverage them. We still leverage them, but not in the same way. That's why they're in demand, and of course that's exacerbated by the fact that in most of the major metro markets, Obviously, there's still a, uh, a talent shortage for IT, uh, particularly for our clients in getting access to IT, and that's why they come to firms like CGI to have a broader footprint to be able to, uh, to, to access that talent. So that's what we're playing into. So a lot of this is interrelated. When we talk about the bookings, when we talk about the, uh, uh, the revenue, when we talk about the uh, – and certainly – We'll get to this when we talk about the margin, because as I've always talked about, the reason we wanted to get back to that 30% SINC and 70% uh, managed services recurring revenue is that comes at the optimal 
margin mix for us. And of course, we're now shifting towards that, but just barely. We're a little over 50%, whereas a year ago we were uh, we were reversed and under 50% from revenue. Does that help? Yeah, that's very helpful. And I mean, just going a little bit further, so or to clarify, the um, I mean, you're not selling it on an hourly rate if it is managed services. You're delivering um, against a, a larger contract. And so, in terms of like your offshore resources, I mean, what have you seen in terms of profitability or in terms of performance, um, in terms of delivering projects on time and on budget versus other regions? Yeah, well, that's that's why I highlighted uh, our Asia Pacific. Uh, delivery centers, it really is a combination of investments we've made uh, in talent, tooling, and methodologies, because, of course, we're moving to uh, agile methodologies ourselves with all of our own IT and uh, the way we deliver uh, these projects, uh, leveraging the tooling. So that all drives the, the, higher, uh, the higher margins. Um, and, of course, the managed services deals, because we're not selling them on an hourly basis, uh, drives up utilization, which I highlighted and you've seen that play out. You see it specifically in our Asia-Pacific delivery centers, but as I mentioned, some of that strength in Canada is the same way in the onshore delivery centers. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens in, uh, in the U.S. and in other regions around the, uh, around the globe. So that's, that's phenomenon is playing out uh, everywhere and will continue to play out as you drive more managed services. That's why I always say that optimal mix drives us a higher utilization and, uh, and lower cost of sales, which ultimately comes with a higher uh, margin. Better price point for our clients, savings for our clients, but margin growth for us, which is why that specific offering is resonating with our clients in the current environment. Okay, and then one last one for me. Uh, you mentioned earlier on the the space market as a opportunity. You know, now that the the Sysis acquisition is closed, you know, perhaps you can comment more directly on you know what you see, like what we are, were your capabilities in the space market prior to that acquisition, you know, and what do you see as a, the long term growth opportunity and, and profitability of that segment? Yeah, so um, there's actually not as much I can say about uh, the current space work, uh, other than to say it is of size. So with CISIS now, we have approximately 1,000 people in, uh, in uh, the European uh, space environment. We don't, we're not as big in, uh, in North America. But uh, most of that right now is for government, and uh, therefore it comes with its own uh, confidentiality and uh, because it's, it's – uh, it's that kind of work. Uh, having said that, we think the opportunity is as a lot of those technologies move over into more of the commercial world, which they are, uh, particularly from a, from a data perspective, our expertise, uh, not directly, but certainly indirectly, can be leveraged to, uh, to expand. And, and, of course, you know that uh, the U.S., from a government perspective, is also investing in this. And, of course, we're already leveraging that from government. But we do see that that will bleed over into commercial in, uh, in a bigger way. We're not just talking about, uh, uh, you know, the, the Elon Musk. We're talking in a, in a more ubiquitous way. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Owen Long from Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good morning. Sure, Jim. You, you gave some color earlier about uh, how SINC 
the growth of that uh, drives a little lower book to bills in the past few quarters. What, with managed service contracts also getting shorter, is that also a factor in uh, lower book to bills? Yeah, that that uh, that plays into why it's not accelerating as fast as we see the pipeline. So uh, that that's that uh, you'll see that transition over from pipeline to uh, to the bookings maybe a little bit slower because of that. Uh, but you will see a transition over, and uh, and then we'll see some of those larger deals over time as we get the proof points, as our clients get through the change that uh, that they're going through, and uh, we'll, we should see those uh, accelerate in the future. So, but but again, in the in the specific quarter, um, the, the biggest uh, the biggest downdraft really were the UK and US federal. Right, so it's it's low. It's just lower orders from there, specifically yeah. as yeah. opposed to yeah. long term. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I guess just one on for Francois, or maybe just in general, on I for S sixteen, uh, with it impacting EBIT, uh, EBIT, and I guess even margins. When you're evaluating uh, your business segment uh, and their performance, is, how is that factored into uh, how how you evaluate their performance? Well, for sure, we are taking that into account in, in the growth for the growth of the uh, between uh, the business units. So we're restating or at least relooking it versus their budget, like if they would have IFRS 16. And again, also they need to understand uh, the impact uh, when they're negotiating a new lease uh, in the future. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And, and then just maybe one more for Francois. I, I saw in the segment disclosure uh, in the MDNA. There's now an elimination line in the revenue in the um, geographic revenue by segment uh, note. Is that just uh, mainly from the uh, offshoring, like in, uh, elimination? Yeah, offshoring and and you know some of the activities at, at corporate, uh, you know some uh, corporate support is done by by the business unit, like you're saying, like in India. So uh, so that's what we're eliminating. Okay, I see. So if they're servicing each other, then that gets yeah. eliminated. Okay. Okay, thanks. I'll uh, pass the line. Thanks, yeah. Howard. And Mode, I guess we'll have time for one more question. Thank you. Our last question is from Deepak Koshal from Stifal GMP. Please go ahead. Oh, hey, guys. Good morning. Uh, thanks for squeezing me in. I know it's uh, AGM day, so I'll, be, I'll try and be yeah, quick. Thank you. Uh, just, it's a quick follow-up to, to Rob's question earlier on the gap. Um, when, when we're thinking about these larger managed service deals, are you expecting a, a steady state of closing these starting now, or, or do they start kind of 6, 12, 24 months out from where we are today? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's continuous. It's a phase approach. We've been having these uh, discussions already for, for 12 months plus, and, uh, and so we're seeing uh, those resonate more as the economy plays out the way we expect it to. So it's not like we're starting now. Uh, we've, already been, uh, we've already been doing that. Uh, actually, uh, that's why I highlighted this uh, this quarter that, uh, given the change you're going through, they're being even more deliberate. Uh, but we we would expect to see those happening uh, really uh, continue moving forward. Okay, and when and when you when you talked about kind of the half scope three to five year pieces starting, but waiting on the six to ten yep. year portion of that. Uh, I mean, what kind of gives you confidence that that they'll follow on with a six to ten year piece of that? Are they giving you visibility? into the, the full scope of the 10-year project, but only contracting half of it? Are things changing so fast that they're still not sure what's going to happen in the outbound? How does that yeah. change your probability of, of follow-on? Yeah, so it's a little of all of the above, but we do get the visibility 
we are discussing in many cases, will do actually uh, a proof of concept on the full scope, and they'll be explicit of we're going to start with this, uh, this smaller scope. So we've already done some of the legwork on that, and we're, we're gaining the proof points. And, of course, that's part of my confidence is uh, if you look at our delivery track record uh, over the years, uh, you look at the, the client satisfaction scores and the loyalty scores, uh, once we are in delivering for the client, uh, that gives us the, the confidence that the bigger scope will be there. Uh, and, and quite frankly, this started with some of the SINC work, which I have been talking about. You build a relationship through the systems integration consulting, get the opportunity to have the bigger discussion, you move some of that to managed services, and over time you move the, the larger scope. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks again for taking my questions, guys. Okay. Uh, Thank have, you. have a good AGM. Thank you. Thanks, Deepak, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Hopefully, we'll see you at the AGM, and we'll see you back here for next quarter, April 29th. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.